Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Tara Zadeko, who is the co-founder and CEO of Dig Labs, which you can find at getdiglabs.com. And Tara is a scientist turned general manager with over 14 years of cross-functional healthcare experience at Johnson & Johnson, and she co-founded Dig Labs in 2019 when she decided to dedicate the next chapter of her life to closing the gaps between human and pet healthcare. A little bit about Dig Lab. Dig Lab's mission is to celebrate the individuality of all dogs by creating individualized supplements based on each dog's unique health needs and diet for more licks, laughter, and loving moments. You can use the code FURBABY, F-U-R-B-A-B-Y, for $10 off your first supply. As always, the show notes are at justgogrind.com slash podcast. You can support the show by leaving a rating and review over in Apple Podcasts. I would very much so appreciate that. It takes all of a minute or two. And you can sign up for the Weekly Grind, a weekly newsletter focused on tips, tools, and strategies to help you grow your business at justgogrind.com slash newsletter. Without further ado, here's my episode with Tara Zadeko, the co-founder and CEO of Dig Labs. Tara, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, excited to have you on here and talk talk about your business and the path that even got you here in the first place. But uh, for people who don't know, what is Dig Labs? Yeah, Dig Labs is a personalized all-in-one supplement that we created uniquely formulated special for each dog based on their unique health goals. Um, And beyond the supplement, we are actually also developing disruptive diagnostics to help owners understand what's happening with their pet in real time using their phones. That's amazing. And how did this come about? Because you have a long career at Johnson & Johnson. How did this company start? Yeah. So I was just <laughs> entering my 14th year at Johnson & Johnson. Um, and I okay. can speak all about that experience um, later. Um, but I was actually out to dinner with a colleague of mine. And we were both pet parents at the time. Both had rescue dogs. My dog is 12. She was 11 at the time. And I was going through this phase of unexplained health issues with her. Um, and we were remarking how, you know, in our healthcare careers, we've seen so much transformation in the personalized health space. But when we go to take care of our dogs, none of that exists. So um, we had this idea about bringing personalized health care to dogs. And we talked to other people about it. Um, We tried to understand a little bit more about the opportunity. Um, We launched a a first brand, which was called Bark Biome, um, which was all around microbiome insight based um, solutions for dogs and quickly realized that that was way too scientific. (laughs) scientific and way (laughs) too much information for people. So we actually dialed it back to Dig Labs, um, which is the business that we have today. Um, So in June, we decided to both leave our jobs, our full-time jobs, our very stable, comfortable jobs, (laughs) and dive into this space of really redefining and reimagining health and wellness for dogs um, to really bridge this gap between human and pet healthcare that we saw. And it's December yeah. now, so we've been at it for yeah. six months. Yeah, and what and what pulled you? Because I mean, obviously, a very you know, very stable job, as you said. I mean, what was it that got you over the edge to take the leap into this? Yeah, um, it's a really great question because I almost didn't do it. Um, <laughs> I think the biggest driver for us was this idea of now or never. So we saw a market opportunity. We identified the white space and. We couldn't figure out a really good reason why no one else had done it yet. 
or that like we hadn't seen any traction in the marketplace. So we side hustled it for a little bit and then decided like if we don't dive in now, in the next 12 months, there will be companies that are doing this. And lo and behold, two other companies have launched since or, you know, in, in parallel to we, when we launched. So <laughs> of course, it just felt like the right idea at the right time. And it felt like we could be the right people to do it, you know, based on our backgrounds, based on our experiences with dogs. Um, it just seemed like things were coming together in a way that we couldn't avoid. Like we couldn't avoid the signs. I think if we had waited three years, it would have been too late. I think if we had been three years early, it would have been too soon. Um, and you know, who knows what the future will bring, but <laughs> it definitely felt like a, a risk worth taking given the timeliness of the idea. Yeah. And you mentioned not really seeing it in the market and doing some research around that too. I mean, what was that process like for you in determining, okay, is there competition out there? What's out there that made you start? Because a lot of people who have business ideas, they're thinking, oh, I have this great idea. And then there's a whole research process to figure out what else is out there. What was your kind of process to do that? Yeah. So I think the first process for us was um, looking at a, a, an area that was more advanced than we are. So human healthcare. Um, you yeah. know, we were practitioners in the space at the time. My role um, at Johnson and Johnson was around identifying um, healthcare disruptors. So we looked at um, which companies in the marketplace were doing disruptive innovation within the space, um, and then we compared that just through living our own lives, talking to our friends with dogs, talking to our veterinarians with what was available to dogs for dogs today. Um, and that gap was just huge. So for example, you know, as humans, we all know of like the personalized vitamins of the world and sure. you can send in, you know, um, a stool sample to get your unique microbiome sequenced. Um, obviously there's the whole DNA industry, right. Where you can have health insights from that. Um, so a right. lot of that inspired, this future focused thinking around pet care. And then the natural next step was, okay, to your point, talking to people about how they care for their pets, what frictions they're seeing in pet care today, obviously in more consumer friendly language, you know, we're just, we just asked them like, how often do you <laughs> take your dog to the vet? What kinds of yeah. problems are you having? Like what, if, if there's one thing you, you would change, what would it be? Um, and we got to the insight and the insight was around the fact that, pets are perpetual infants. They cannot speak. They cannot tell you what's wrong. They can't communicate to you. But at the same time, you treat them as if you, they're your baby. Um, so there was this real communication gap between understanding exactly what was wrong with a pet, but only being able to go off of the symptoms, right? So are they eating? Yeah. Are they pooping? Are they sleeping? Do they smell funny? Um, and we realized that because of that communication gap, there's a whole spiral of guesswork that happens when a pet um, isn't at his best health. So um, they go to the vet, the vet doesn't know what's wrong, they try a different diet, that doesn't work, then they try like um, giving other supplements that might not work. And it just, it just spirals downhill into this much bigger chronic health issue than it even needs to be. So we've pretty yeah. much identified that there is an opportunity to strengthen the ability to assess pet health in a more real-time fashion. Uh, and from there, we sort of built our um, business around what the easiest entry point into pet health could be today, which, which is supplements for us. 
Yeah, and you mentioned it was like too complex of kind of a solution with the microbiome initially. I mean, what was the feedback you were getting that made you switch? And I mean, how did you even decide that was the route you went then initially? Yeah, so it felt like microbiome could be the easiest way in for a couple of reasons. One, there were already a few kits available to the public on the market today, but they weren't providing a personalized solution. They were just providing information. Um, And as a consumer, I think we can all attest how frustrating it is when you get some information and you're like, okay, but what do I do with this information? (laughs) Of course. (laughs) So it kind of felt like, okay, well, if we can provide a personalized solution to that information, that might be the easiest way in for us. What we found, though, is that the information that was provided by those kits was even um, not well understood from a science standpoint. So a lot of science still needed to be done to understand how to equate those findings with actual action. Um, And we found that out by doing our own um, research sort of in the wild. So we found our own lab. We purchased kits from a vendor we actually like launched Bark Biome to, to make this discovery. Uh, we recruited 20 of our closest friends and family with dogs to go through the motions. Um, and they actually even paid us. Um, so we asked them, you know, what would you be willing to pay for this? And because they're our <laughs> yes. friends, they're like, okay, here's like 50 bucks, here's 100 bucks. Um, so that's one way we subsidized our learning. But we did learn from that process. It is cumbersome, it is time consuming, and it is not very insightful at the end of the day. And then we knew we needed to pivot. So it was a really great practice in like listening to our customer, taking the feedback, and then pivoting to a space that um, was ready now. Yeah, and the space that's ready now. I mean, looking at that industry, you said there's now there are two two more competitors. But initially, did they was there any competitors there? You said like when you when you first started, there was none. But like even when you pivoted, were there already competitors then? Yeah, so we were starting to hear rumblings that they were launching. Um, Obviously, the supplements market is established in pet, but it's established with um, players that are available at, you know, PetSmart and Petco, uh, recommended by veterinarians. But I mean, the big key is that they are one size fits all. So if I have a 30 pound dog, and I buy a bottle of supplements, I need to crush that pill into like an eighth of a size, or I need to cut it in half for a a 45 pound dog. There's a lot of like mixology and frictions involved in actually dosing supplements, um, which creates um, obviously a disruption in in driving the category growth. And, And honestly, the biggest disruption is the pets not getting the supplements that they need because the owner just either doesn't have time to do that laborious process, gets frustrated with it, Um, The kids can't feed the dog anymore because now we're basically becoming at-home mixologists for the supplements. So it creates (laughs) a lot of barriers. So we did see a few um, rumblings of other companies start that were looking to provide personalized supplements um, at the same time that we were. Um, So while, of course, it's important to understand kind of what they were about and who they were focusing on, I think the biggest um, key for us was to stay focused on what we were doing um, and how there is so much share to be had by all of us like startups that it's, (laughs) it's more about continuing to focus on what value we're bringing to disrupt like the bigger marketplace versus um, focusing on call it like competition. But in reality, it's really sort of friendly because it's validation that there really is a need here. 
Oh, for sure. And with it too, I mean, with the actual like fulfillment and figuring out the dosing and like all that like logistics behind it. I mean, how complex is that for your company? Yeah, it's highly complex. Um, <laughs> so one of the first things that we did was bring on a veterinary nutritionist advisor. So someone in the space that really understood veterinary nutrition. Um, fun fact, veterinarians only take like one to two um classes based on nutrition, meaning like one to two like days in a class. So like if you oh, look wow. at a syllabus, yeah, it's quite it's quite low. Oh my so God. that yeah, was that's an, crazy. Yeah. So that was a really interesting fact. And it also explains a lot of behavior, right? Because obviously um there is really there are wellness visits in the in the veterinarian field, but a lot of it is illness based, right? Um, yeah. So it just brought to light this whole opportunity for sort of the wellness disruption in pet care. And obviously pets are living longer. People are treating their pets like family. Um, so it all, it's all coming together for us in sort of this big movement, which is exciting. Um, but to answer yeah. your question, it is very complex. And I'd say that my background in healthcare and in CPG specifically really helped us accelerate our product market fit evaluations to develop an actual product um, and, yeah. and actually bring it to market. Um, so in a lot of ways, the last six months have really been us demoing our idea by bringing it to life and providing um a forum for us to get information really quickly from consumers, um, which I can talk about in terms of like how we validated, you know. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Go idea. feel free. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd love to hear how you did. We actually thought this would be an online concept where someone could go online and take a quiz and then, you know, the, um, we would code an algorithm, which would spit out the results of that quiz. And that quiz would be like, here's, you know, here's Bailey's personalized formula. It contains, you know, certain level of ingredient X, a certain level of ingredient Y, et cetera, et cetera. What we quickly realized was the capital up front to create that infrastructure online would have like totally blown our bootstrap budget. So instead, yeah. <laughs> we took it offline and we actually partnered with local rescue organizations over the summer and into the fall that were hosting these like festivals in dog parks or um, think of it as like a bark in the park where vendors can buy tents by donating to the rescue org. And it's like a dog festival. There's like dog lovers that come, they dress up <laughs> their dogs. It's really, really cute. So yeah. we took the whole concept offline. We built this, call it like um, pop-up shop at these different dog events. And the sole purpose of them was to test whether or not people would be interested in buying this product, this pup sup, which we call it. It's a personalized all-in-one um, custom supplement that's made uniquely for each dog. But in order to test that, we actually had to build the whole product because we wanted to be able to deliver it to somebody that was interested in buying it. And we wanted to see like, are they seeing results? Is it easy to for them to dose? So for example, we designed it with the end user in mind. So it's a simple powder that you scoop right on top and sprinkle right on top of each meal. So we actually designed the whole product in order to do the MVP, but we minimized wow. the capital upfront by ordering finished goods from you know, human manufacturers instead of pet manufacturers, ordering our raw materials as finished goods so that like we could buy, you know, a few kilograms of each instead of having to buy, you know, 10,000 kilograms from an external <laughs> manufacturer. So there are definitely some like hacks in there about 
just like how to test product market fit while not like signing up for all this work in capital or inventory. How did you figure that out? Was it just a matter of intuition? Like, oh, yeah, we don't really want to have the capital for this. So let's just try to test it. Or was it from your experience with Johnson & Johnson? Like, how did you figure that out? You know, I think it just came down to us saying, you know, we're only putting in this much money. And when it runs out, if we don't have an answer, we're done. <laughs> so we got <laughs> really, do it. <laughs> yeah, we got really creative with how we went about spending money. Um, and then the Johnson and Johnson experience definitely helped. So um, I had been a brand manager at Johnson and Johnson for six years, managing brands like Rogaine and Avino, and having that um, experience managing a full PL helped me understand, you know, what are the cost drivers? Where is money typically held up? How do we make sure that basically we're getting to consumption in the most cost efficient way possible and treating the whole like launch, if you will, that we've had as really market research, which happened yeah. to result in a sale <laughs> and then tracking <laughs> that person, uh, almost obsessively <laughs> um, throughout their journey with our product. Yeah. I mean, you have to early on just to know what their customers want and like, well, how are they actually using it? Exactly. I feel like it's so important. And yeah. one, one thing you mentioned earlier that I just want to touch on again, just go back to with getting that veterinarian on board as an advisor, how did you find them? And then yeah. what does that look like as an advisor? Yeah, this is a great question. So, um, Google and LinkedIn are our best nice. friends. We um, we've a we actually use LinkedIn so much and like the basic version, not like the premium or anything. But we use it so much to the point where LinkedIn would start to send us like warnings, like you've exceeded <laughs> your like search limit, and we didn't even know uh -huh. that could happen. Been there before. That. So that's <laughs> yep. interesting. Um, and yep. then we basically found databases of veterinary nutritionists because like they went to conferences or they're in this like ABCN database. And we just started cold calling people um, to see whether like who would respond because we knew mm -hmm. someone was better than no one at that point. So like we weren't, oh, yeah. we just wanted like a warm body to send an email back to us to say like, Hey, this sounds interesting. <laughs> like, totally open to doing consulting, but it was a lot of like internet sleuthing. I wish yeah. that we were more connected in the veterinary space before we started, but I mean, it, we had to start somewhere. So it kind of, it, it was what it was and we made the best of it. Yeah. And then how did you actually convince them? Like, what was the pitch when you're yeah. even like emailing these people? I'm really curious about that. Yeah. So we ended up choosing someone that lived and worked about four hours away from New York. And okay. um, my co-founder and I, Jess, we agreed that like, okay, this person actually reached out to us. Like we need to convert them. Like they need to be, <laughs> they need to, by the end of the first conversation, they need to either have a second conversation or send us a scope of work that we can sign, like, which is their hourly rate. So I drove there. I drove to see her um, to like, as a show of my commitment to wanting to work with her. And we assembled like almost like a pitch deck for our, for her to explain yeah the insight, the problem, the unmet need, what we were looking to build in our vision, and most critically, like why we need her help um, and what what we thought we could build together. So we very much pitched it as a partnership. Um, 
And that meeting went really well. I'm like really glad that I actually drove up. She's like, no one ever drives up to see me. So I think that also like, it was just a nice gesture in in terms of the partnership, um, which is always important when you're looking to build a team. And, um, And we still partner with her today. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's just reaching out cold is the way to go, especially if you don't have the connections, you don't really have an option. Like if you want to yeah. have these people on board, you kind of have to, right? Totally. And obviously our preference would have been to like stalk her on the internet, then like find her on LinkedIn, find mutual connections and be introduced. But unfortunately, you know, we just don't always have that luxury. So yeah, even yeah, with, with how great LinkedIn is, even and just like yeah, you don't always have necessarily those connections. Um, and one thing too, with what's not really talked about a lot is what is like I guess your business model with this company, and like how did you decide your pricing? Because that's something that people kind of gloss over a lot of times, and uh, yeah. it's an important part of your whole strategy. Yeah. So for pricing, we looked at what's available in the marketplace today, um, which is roughly a dollar a day. And then we looked at some of the adopters that have launched um, recently in the personalized space. Um, And those were like anywhere from $1.50 to like $3 a day. Um, And we talked to our like potential customers about just like what they would be willing to pay. Um, And that's how we landed on a dollar a day, which is actually surprising when we talk to people because it's in line with the sort of off the shelf incumbent model. Um, But I mean, we did that on purpose to illustrate a few things. One, that supplements are like outrageously overpriced given like the fillers (laughs) and the stuff in them that you don't actually need. It's like a lot of fluff to make someone's pocket really, really like rich, but not Mm -hmm. the consumer and certainly not the pet. Um, and two, because we wanted to explain that it is actually not that much money to level up a dog's nutrition. It can be accomplished through a few really easy steps. Um, but the other thing about pricing, which is really interesting, is we wanted to make sure that the absolute price was below $50 because we heard that that was a big threshold for consumers in our in our category. Um, And we also wanted to make sure that the supply, so the amount of time, like the amount of doses that we gave was enough for a consumer to see signs of traction in the supplement's performance such that they would renew. So for example, we couldn't give like a two-week supply for $20 because- (laughs) Yeah, you wouldn't be able to tell. (laughs) Yeah, no one would see a difference and it just, it wouldn't set the product up for success. So that's how we chose a six-week recurring model at $49, which is roughly a dollar a day. Awesome. And then uh, with your co-founder, Jess, as well, I mean, how have you decided on like roles and responsibilities? Who's going to go do what? Because I mean, within a startup, especially uh, early stage, I mean, there's so many different different things. And yes, each of you has different expertise, but how did you decide on that? Yeah. So um, it's interesting. When Jess and I were talking about the idea over dinner in the beginning, it was actually like me pitching to her in a lot of ways. Um, I had been noodling on the idea and I always wanted her like if I had to if I could choose a co-founder and I thought about this a lot I wanted it to be her because yeah she had so much complimentary experience in the pet world so she's a serial foster mom she's actually fostered a total of 33 dogs in her lifetime Jeez. she's on number 34 she's wow. so um, well versed in various experiences as a pet parent because of her foster experiences 
And we were on the same team on Avino, so I knew what she's capable of from a brand building standpoint. Um, I actually had six years of uh, my first six years at Johnson and Johnson was in research and development. So I'm a I'm an engineer by training material science and biomedical engineer, but I switched over to the business side um, about six years into my career while getting my MBA. So the way that we ended up dividing up responsibilities is we're both co-founders. I'm the CEO. She's the, um, the chief operating officer. She leads a lot of the branding and operations related to the pups up. I lead yep. a lot of the investor outreach fundraising and also the science pipeline related to the diagnostics that we're developing. Um, and that's pretty much the role um, division that we'll keep through 2020, assuming that the scale of each of those remains pretty constant. Yeah. And then, so are you actively fundraising right now? Yeah, we are. We, um, we're actively fundraising. Um, we are calling it our pre-seed. Um, okay. We already have a committed investor, which is very exciting, but we are looking very. for more. <laughs> and that has <laughs> been, um, that has been quite a journey. <laughs> <laughs> tell me, tell me about that. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Yeah, so um, we invested our own money um, yeah. to start, um, and we don't have any other investors yet. Obviously, outside of the one that's committed already um, in the pre-seed, um, but it's just been a great lesson in how we articulate what we're doing to other people that either have no idea about pet or have no idea about us, who we are. Um, and how we articulate the vision of what we're playing for in a way that is inspiring, engaging, um, and enticing. Um, so it's obviously a very different skill set than understanding a consumer and their needs. It's a very different skill set than building a supply chain or building a diagnostic. Um, so it's been fun. It's been a lot of fun. <laughs> um, I, I really enjoy it, actually. Um, but it's definitely been a different type of uh, way to spend the day. So actually, all day yeah. today, we were in New York going to various meetings, meeting with various potential investors. Yeah, and this, I, I'm just thinking about the people I've interviewed for the other show I also host called Startup 2.0, and those are basically all venture capitalists in Los Angeles. <laughs> and oh. so I'll definitely have to uh, have to share your company with Oh, yeah, I would love that. Them. I'll send you our and deck. Just, yeah, you definitely you should because I'll, I'll at least try to forward that over. But cool. um, the fundraising process, yeah, I've talked to a lot of entrepreneurs going through that, and it's it's quite quite the process, let's just say. And people at you know all different levels, whether they're pre seed, seed, uh, people raising their Series A. Uh, I had one of my friends, their uh, their fiance just closed his Series A. Like it's it's just quite the the crazy thing to go. Wow, through. But, congratulations! That's a huge milestone. Yeah, very, very huge for them. And it's like, wow, to see the progression over time is uh, is quite fascinating when you see them you see them early on and they're like, you know, s struggling, but then they get the first round of funding and they get another round of funding. And you're just like, yeah, you just keep going and just keep trying to stay alive the whole time. Exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then with, with Dig Labs too then, I mean, what is kind of uh, the growth, tr growth strategy for the company? Because you mentioned going yeah. to different like conferences and stuff, but what is that strategy looking like now? Definitely. So right now we um, we're excited about the traction that we've shown with our pop up events. Um, we have spoken to various retailers about what distribution could look like, which is obviously super exciting for us. 
So in the next 12 months, we're looking to aggressively scale the Pups Up, which is the dog personalized supplement. We're also looking to expand into adjacent categories. We're looking to launch with other animals. Uh, and then most importantly, we're looking to launch an MVP of our diagnostic um, next year. So awesome. we have very aspirational yet realistic growth goals. Um, yep. And that's also why we're raising now so we can hit the ground running in through the first quarter of the year to really post some wins and show momentum. Yeah, of course. And then for you, I mean, many years in, in corporate, big company, Johnson & Johnson, what has that adjustment been like for you going as a startup now? Yeah, it's um, it's definitely a stark difference. Um, the good news is I can't imagine a place where I could have prepared better um, for yeah. startup experience, which might sound like an oxymoron, but I think given the way that my career unfolded at J&J, you know, I had R&D experience for six years, then I had brand management experience for six years, and the final 18 months of my career there was actually in external innovation, scouting startup companies who might have a strategic interest for Johnson & Johnson, um, and creating joint value with them through either research collaborations, equity investments, et cetera. Um, that really gave me a lens into the startup world from a strategic perspective. It, I think it's definitely helped me build better pitch decks. It's helped me understand what various investors are looking for. Um, and it's also helped me remain disciplined to like what our actual vision is and who our like who our investor pipeline should be comprised of. Um, yeah. I think the brand management experience has been invaluable to help me understand really how to lead and operate a company. Uh, a lot of times people say that like founders and operators kind of are cut from a different cloth. And I totally can see that based on my experience. Um, I would say, you know, if I had to choose one of the two for myself, I would be an operator over a founder. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm really excited to like get through this <laughs> pre-seed so we can do some operating. <laughs> Um, but I said, what it hasn't prepared me for is there is no, um, and I know it sounds so obvious when I'm going to say it, but like there are no resources, right? So if somebody yep. posts an order to our site at 12.01 AM, you know, Shopify sends us an email that says we have an order, like who's fulfilling that order. I'm fulfilling <laughs> that order, right? There's no supply chain team or procurement team. If, if my vendor comes back and wants to negotiate a contract, I'm negotiating the contract. So yep. on one hand, that's been super exciting because it's allowed me to really operate um, across so many different types of functions. And on the other hand, it's obviously quite scary because like Jess and I will look at each other sometimes be like, oh, we're going to make this decision um, and no one's <laughs> going to question it. But that's also a little scary because like, are we making the right decision? I guess time will tell. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's been a wild ride. Um, it's been a ton of fun, but it's definitely been an adjustment. Yeah. I mean, it's so such a huge adjustment. I mean, going from the, yeah, that to the startup. And uh, on a, kind of a lighter note as well, I'm just thinking about your company and saying like, how did you decide in the name for the company? Mm. I mean, that's a great question. So as I mentioned, we had Bark Biome before, which was obviously very dog focused and very microbiome focused. So that name wouldn't yeah. work. Um, that name wouldn't work unless we um, unless we were just focused on those things. So we talked a lot about the name. Actually, it's probably <laughs> one of the hardest things that we did as co-founders was name 
the brand. Um, yeah. We actually hi we tried to name it ourselves, and we came up with a whole brief like for ourselves, just to keep ourselves honest. Of like, what do we want the name to communicate? Like, what do we not want the name to communicate? How sciency do we want the name? How important is science to us <laughs> versus consumers? <laughs> like, every question you could think of, we asked, and um, we actually came up with the name Dig Labs because. Um, we wanted to cue the idea of animals and cue science at the same time without like overtly hitting anyone over the head with it and provide the ability to expand into either adjacent areas with the labs piece into the diagnostic or like other animals besides dog. Um, but we, we actually didn't love the name until we hired an agency <laughs> to help us. Um, and they basically did the same exercise that we did, but like, because they're a naming agency, we're like, oh, they're definitely going to come up with something better. And we end, we both ended up at the same place, which was Dig Labs. The reason we fell in love with Dig Labs is because Dig is actually an acronym, and it stands for Discover Individual Goodness. Ah, uh, perfect. <laughs> so yeah, we like we just needed sort of a few different dimensions to come together in the name um, for us to really embrace it. And then once we had all of those pieces in place, like we've never looked back. Yeah, and it's a surprisingly difficult process, though, right? Like yeah. when you go into it, you're just oh yeah, we're gonna have this new company, and you talk about all these things you want to do with it, and then something that seems so simple, oh yeah, we just need to name it. It's like. Well, here's what we've learned, actually. What we learned is it's easier to start building the company without the name and then back into the name because it's a name needs to be the single articulation for the millions of things you want to (laughs) do. And until you actually understand what those millions of things are, you're never going to come up with the right name. So what we learned, and this is also through the process with um, Bark Biome, right? Like we had a name that we loved and then the company pivoted and we're like, okay, this name's not going to work anymore. (laughs) So we took so much time coming up with the second name, which is hopefully our final name. But I'd say the harder process was actually creating the logo. Yeah. So like once we had the name, um, that took a lot of like blood, sweat and tears. So we had, um, we had a creative, um, like a graphic designer take a stab at the logos. We really didn't like any of them. Um, and then we found a company called, I think it was called 99 designs and it's basically, yeah. So it's a logo company. Um, they basically like you do a contest and um, freelancers can submit their logo ideas to you based on the brief that you submit. Um, And again, through that process, we came up with a very similar logo to something we had already thought of, but the graphic designer that won was able to show us articulations of that work that we hadn't thought of before, which gave the logo so much more meaning to us. So right now our logo is a dog tag shaped in a hexagon with the Mm -hmm. word dig in capital letters, but like there could be a little dot on top of the eye, which is like the hook where the hook goes in the dog tag. Um, And it's just a simple hexagon. But what we could do with it is we could superimpose like an image of a dog behind it. For example, we could use so many different colors. Like it felt like the logo truly lived into individualized while still having a mark that was identifiable and unique to us. So we really liked that. 
No, I love it. And it looks, it looks great. And I, I will definitely vouch for 99 designs. I mean, like I've used them, I use them for one of projects for, I think for Disco Grind or something. And like, there's oh. just, you get so many different design options yeah. and it's great to choose from and pick from. And then yep. they and all kind fast. of iterate on them. Yeah. It's so quick too. Yeah. It was probably one of our best 3 a.m. decisions ever. (laughs) (laughs) How many are there? (laughs) Um, I mean, it's startup life, so there are quite a few. (laughs) I don't know what sleep is anymore, really, which is tough because I have a four-year-old at home. But um, Oh, yeah. That's going to be tough. Uh, You do what you can, right? (laughs) How do you – I mean, on that kind of similar-ish note, managing your time day-to-day and prioritizing different things in the startup with the craziness, how do you do it each day? Yeah. Um, we have instituted like a real backlog. Um, and so what I mean by that is every week we go through our backlog of activities and we define the two to three that must be done this week and anything else goes into the backlog. Like with the exception of a customer issue, um, or like fulfilling a customer's need. Cause obviously that's always number one. Um, so for example, if like, someone comes out of the woodworks and they want like, and we think that they might be um, an interesting like partner for us from a retail standpoint, we put them in the backlog and we talk about them like the first thing next week. And if we decide if it's a priority based on the other things we have to do, then we prioritize that activity for the week. And like we post real progress against it. Um, we found that it's the only way for us to stay sane while managing a hundred competing priorities. Yeah. Um, and it's tough. Like I emotionally struggle with the backlog because <laughs> I'm sure. there are things that like I really want to work on. Like if this guy from, you know, this pet company that like I adore emails me and wants to partner with us, like I literally want to drop everything to partner with him. But like instead I send an email and say like, Hey, would love to chat. Can we chat next week to like kind of, <laughs> plant that as a next week priority um, because otherwise yeah. it's just this like vicious cycle of chasing a shiny object which may or may not pan out to something real um, but it's really important to have the discipline of like being thoughtful about what the priorities are and then and you know sometimes things do come up that we do like end up prioritizing over the things we thought we would but that's like a choice that we make well, yeah, and you have to know all the tasks that you're doing first, which is kind of the first thing. Like, yeah, all the pro- possible activities and you know things you could be doing, and then literally every. I mean, do you do it every every like Monday, every Sunday? Like, how do you? Yeah, every Monday typically. It? Typically every Monday. Okay, yeah, yeah. and just figuring out what the tasks are for the week. Um, and then with the business too. I mean, just the craziness. You have a you have a kid as well. I mean, how are you? Like, is there recharging? How do you recharge? And what are you doing for that? Like, are you taking <laughs> um, a break ever? How does that work? My husband is my hero, is what I would say. Um, he, like, works, you know, a job just like I used to. And he um, does so much to, like, fill in the gaps for when I'm basically not around. Um, so, like, <laughs> it wouldn't be possible without him. And, um, to recharge, what do I do? This is a really timely question. Cause I do need to recharge. Um, what I try to do <laughs> is I try to like preserve time with my son. So my son is a, is a drain of energy, but he's also such an emotional source of energy for me. Um, there are like three days a week that I make sure to pick him up from school and I block those that time from like 4 p.m. to 7.30 p.m. on my calendar. Like no one 
I like, I don't answer my phone during that time. Like I spend it with him. Um, and it's so important to me and I know it's important to him that we like have that time. Um, but it is really hard, you know, especially as we were testing product market fit, um, I was at events every weekend and my son wasn't in school on the weekends and he was used to me being home and obviously my husband and I all both being home. So I've tried to find ways to take off like on a random Wednesday and like take him to do something fun. Um, but the moral of the story is like there's there's not a ton of recharging that's happening right now. It's sort of just like who is getting my time? Is it my business, my husband, my son? Um, I, I value sleep a lot, but unfortunately it's a little bit elusive and, um, my, and Jess and I are like trying to be better about, um, putting our health first. Um, yeah. So for example, we're like caught where we've, um, decreed a dig holiday from <laughs> December 24th to January, um, first. Ooh, what yeah. does that consist of? <laughs> that consists of me going on vacation with my family and Perfect. hopefully sleeping a little bit. Um, but definitely just like taking a step away. And I mean, I'm sure you can attest to this too. Like the best ideas come when sometimes when you're like not even expecting them or thinking about them. So I oh, think yeah. our brains could really use like a mental vacation too, um, given how fast and hard we've been sprinting lately. Yeah, I mean, especially a matter of months into this, like, oh my goodness, I can only, yeah, imagine how yeah. how difficult it is, and like, yeah, it, understanding how hard it is to build something, especially with all this research, all the testing, talking to customers, everything, and then the family on top of it, like, sleep just is sometimes more difficult, especially early early stage in a in a business. Um, but yeah, find that finding that not even balance, but just finding the time to take care of yourself is obviously important, but. Everyone yeah. has a different way of trying to do that. Um, I think from the talking most important people, yeah. thing is to build a support network around you. So I have obviously my husband who is so supportive of what I'm doing and that that is so critical. Um, I have really close friends that understand what I'm doing and like understand that I can't like hang out all the time like I used to, um, which obviously <laughs> makes me sad, but like yeah. having that support network or people that you can just talk to helps so much. So um, I also joined a group called Dreamers and Doers, um, which is a collective of women that are looking to, you know, think big and disrupt um, the status quo. And that's been yeah. a super helpful, like affinity group to be a part of just with like-minded people that are going through similar things. So I think yeah. beyond sort of like solo recovery and rest, I think surrounding myself with the right people to help me keep me energized um, is the other kind of key to keeping at it. Yeah. And I've talked to, I've interviewed a lot of people from Dreamers and Doers on, on the Discord Grand Podcast. And yeah, that community part is, is so big and so important. That's why I actually, well, this will, this will be released in January or February, but as of now, which is December, I'm just launching my own kind of community because of the same exact reason. Like I see awesome. all these different entrepreneurs and knowing that I should connect them and having that support system is so important. I'm already, you know, kind of having these um, like impromptu hangouts with people, but I'm like, oh, you should talk to this person. And it's like, yeah, that network is just so important for as you're building something and then it also even me like helping someone else with something 
for even like a hour talk is recharging for me too and seeing them succeed. And so uh, the grind is the, the name of the, the community I'm, I'm launching as well. Uh, I think it's important to have something, whether whatever that may be to help you as you kind of grow your business. And and looking back uh, so far in these matter of months, I mean, what has been the biggest challenge in starting this company? I think the biggest challenge has been prioritizing. Um, it's really hard to stay true to what we set out to do rightfully so because we should be pivoting yeah. based on what our consumer says and what we like where we can maximize the opportunity for the company i think the biggest challenge is like emotionally separating between that and sort of like why we started if that makes sense so yeah making sure that we stay true to what drives us as individuals while also driving value for the startup. Yeah. Which is like, you know, the grand vision kind of thing. And then it's like, what's going to change within that as we're building the company. So I'll give you a really good example. Like, Sure. A lot of um, people have asked us like, oh, have you talked to this company? Have you talked to that company in terms of like maybe they'd be interested in like partnering or acquiring you one day? And like we have very mixed feelings about certain companies because um, we think that they could be doing more for pets or could be doing more for people or whatever it is. So like it becomes really hard, though, when you have investors who have you know, believed in your idea. And obviously as co-founders, we have a duty to maximize the value of the company as well. So it just becomes a really interesting philosophical conundrum and question of just how to navigate through those scenarios. And obviously we don't have an answer yet because we haven't sold anything to, you know, (laughs) like we still own our company, but it is an interesting thing to think about when, um, you know, when, when we get there. Yeah, exactly. And then, and looking at your company too, I mean, what kind of has been, not even just your company, really just your career. I mean, what have been maybe the biggest lessons from like the Johnson and Johnson days that you've kind of applied to the things you're doing now? Yeah. Um, I think some of the biggest lessons are like obvious that I talked about, about like managing, like managing a brand, managing for profit versus managing for growth. Um, I think like some of the non-obvious things are probably around how to make sure that the narrative holds, even when things aren't necessarily going like as you imagined. So Mm -hmm. Some of the meetings that I was in at Johnson and Johnson around like reporting results or, you know, managing, um, managing your management. I think at the time those seemed sort of um, unnecessary in my mind, but looking back on it, I really appreciate having that experience because it's really helped me make sure that I can be as um, investor friendly as possible as a co-founder and CEO, for example. Yeah. And then, and one thing just kind of totally, totally random that I noticed when I was like earlier doing some research on your site and everything too. So like the, the unicorn sample video, like how does something like that come about? 
<laughs> so if you can retweet that. that, because that is our hope for virality <laughs> in all of this. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, it's really funny you mentioned that and that you found that. So um, when we started on the Bark Biome Project, one of the assessments is actually a stool sample, which makes sense if uh-huh. you think about like understanding what a dog's eating, how they're pooping. And we assess that sample for a microbiome. Very early on, we got feedback from consumers that like they don't want to see examples <laughs> Like, I don't want to see an example <laughs> on the internet of like what, yeah. like how I should be scooping poop. So we got creative and we're like, okay, well, like unicorns are kind of fun right now. So we're going to film a how-to video using unicorn poop. <laughs> and this is where my son's um, bedroom accessories came in handy. So I grabbed the unicorn off of his shelf. He obviously had Play-Doh in his like little play drawer. We made unicorn poop, and then I'm sure my neighbors like think I'm crazy because I'm outside <laughs> filming this unicorn on my driveway or in the grass with like Play-Doh and I'm like moving the camera and I'm scooping the Play-Doh. So that's like a whole funny story um, in and of itself. But yeah, it it was really insight based because we couldn't get people to scoop this poop and we couldn't show them how because they didn't want to watch a video of someone else scooping someone like some other random dog's poop. Um, So, so unicorn poop how to video was born. Yes. That's amazing. I'll have to share it. I'll have to tweet it and share it because I, I just got <laughs> it before. I was like, I pretty much right before I started this interview, I was like, oh my goodness, I need to write that down. Um, yeah, that's one that of our up. like, um, what are those called? Like white rabbits, if you will. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Found that gem. Yes. It's on your side. I was like, oh, that's amazing. Um, was there any uh, any advice or comments you'd leave for someone who's thinking about starting a business, thinking about maybe leaving a uh, career as well, like you had in starting a business, anything you'd say to them? Yeah, I would say that if you have an idea, then you should, you owe it to yourself to figure out whether or not now is the right time to do it. Um, Because if you think about a career, any career, um, I think a lot of people, and I think Jeff Bezos said this well, a lot of people think that like leaving a career or leaving a job is like a one way door, right? Like you leave and you can never go back. And like, basically there's like no turning back, but I just think that couldn't be further from the truth. Um, Like the way I left J and J was so positive. Like, I feel like if I took 12 to 18 months and this didn't work, I could find something probably at the level that I was at, maybe even at a higher level because of all the experience that I'm getting in going and trying my own thing. Um, And I've learned so many incremental skills and lessons that I do strongly believe that it is accretive to what I knew before. And I think companies see that and companies know that. I just think it's so scary. And I felt the same way. It was so scary at the time to take the risk. And there are obviously so there's so much comfort in what you know and comfort in who you know and the company that you're with. Um, I would just encourage people, if you have an idea, you owe it to yourself to see whether or not that idea could become a company. And maybe it can't. And you learn that through side hustling it, you know, you're five to nine, but maybe it could. And if it could, I just think it's such a gift to have an idea um, and it would be an even greater gift to have the ability to see in yourself the ability to take it as far as you could possibly go. I love it. I love it. And where can people go to learn more about what you're doing? 
yeah, so you can check me out at um, www.getdiglabs.com. Um, and actually, we have a promo code for anyone out there with dogs who are interested in trying us out. You can use promo code FURBABY, F-U-R-B-A-B-Y, um, to get $10 off your first supply. Awesome. Sounds great. And thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. I know how busy you are as well. <laughs> sure. Thank you. It's a really great opportunity and it was great to talk to you today. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. I really appreciate it. If you haven't already, check out The Grind, which is a community where entrepreneurs, creators, and other go-getters can connect digitally and in person to build their businesses, get ideas and inspiration, make an impact, and support others pursuing their dream. The goal of this community when I created is, is really simple. It's to use our collective experiences, skills, connections, and unrelenting ambition to make a bigger impact on the world. And during my time at USC, growing this podcast, attending conferences, I've met so many incredible people and wanted to have a way to connect them, a place where they could reach out to each other, get support, but also then just leverage the skills we have to do more. And this community is exactly that. Learn more at justgogrind.com slash the dash grind. You can also find it from the homepage, justgogrind.com. Check it out. Thank you.